are live. Boom. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me out. I'm in San Antonio. Well, I uh, came to help speak at an event. I was invited by a lender that I do a lot of business with, and uh, I'm not a selfish person, so I'm all about returning the favor. And he asked me to come uh, help speak at an event to draw some people out so he could uh, take over this new market of San Antonio. And uh, while I was at the airport this morning, he sent me a text and he was like, hey, we got to cancel the guy that was going to headlines in the hospital and uh, we just got to cancel all things. So at that point, I was like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm here at the airport. I'm going to might as well keep going. be forced into a vacation, which I never do. Yeah, well, I, I was I was wondering about that. I'm like, you don't seem like you take vacations because I've been looking at your Facebook for a while. And for people who don't know, you're how what would you say you are? A real estate investor? How would you how would you word it? That's what I call it. People okay. tell me I'm more of a developer. Um, some people still call me a plumber because that's how I started before <laughs> I ever got in real estate. But I I'd call myself an investor. But um, you know, I know how to always ruin a good thing. So uh, my vacation's already turning into a work trip. I've hit up. A lot of people I know that are pretty heavy hitters uh, in commercial real estate and meeting up with them. Got somebody I'm meeting up with tonight to watch the Mavs game. Got some people I'll have a lunch with tomorrow and so on. So that's pretty cool. I figured out how to how to turn it into something to do with work. So I, I mentioned, you know, the whole vacation thing and, and being a real estate investor, because, yeah, I've been following your Facebook for a while and. It's it, like every single day you have a post about you had to go check on some project, fix some problem, buy a building, rehab a house, whatever. Like you're always doing something. Even on the weekends, you're like, I have to process these payments and sign these leases and do this and do that. Yeah, I've got a lot of investors that typically are like, hey, you know, you're supposed to be moving up and big time and you shouldn't be doing all that. And you should always be on the beach. And one, I, I don't enjoy being on a beach, to be honest. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, you know, anywhere I go, I'm good for about one day. And then I'm like, all right, let's get to work. Yeah. Uh, so that doesn't work for me. But two, anybody I've seen that's always tried to move themselves out of their business, I've never seen it work. Um, because you have to be the manager. Like you can't, you can't completely take yourself out 100% and expect it to be very profitable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of like the, the uh, Chick-fil-A model. You know, if you're going to be owner of Chick-fil-A, they want you to work there. So, right. Um, I always want to somehow be a part of my business. Um, just as I get more experience and I get older and uh, more out of shape, I've learned how to take myself out of the hard part. So I'm not carrying a hammer anymore, um, but I'm def definitely very much involved. Is that a metaphor, carrying a hammer, or you mean that literally? Well, literally, <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, five years ago, I did all my own rehabs by myself, but... Okay. Um, I had to learn through a lot of people yelling at me that if I wanted to scale, I had to learn how to let other people do other things. And that was hard for me to do. Um, but that's something I had to learn how to do. I had to learn how to hand over the construction, which, you know, I was in construction before real estate. So that was hard for me to do. Um, but then I learned that I'm much better off as a GC and I'm pretty good at that. So, um, that's GC. Yeah, general, so contractor. general contractor. So I, I run my job sites. Now I'm at a point where I run them all from my phone every day. Um, so my guys just text me. They let me know when they're on site. Um, they'll do text to pay from Home Depot so I can see what all they're ordering. 
Uh, they got to give me pictures at the end of the day. Literally, while I'm out here, I had guys on different job sites, and uh, somebody moved into an apartment today. So mm. got to do all that uh, while on vacation. That's pretty badass. I, I think you have to. You can only grow so much if you're going to keep keep your finger on every single thing that's happening in your business. Like you can't. Like if if you really want to grow, you're going to have to delegate some responsibilities. You cannot possibly manage every little thing right it's just like there's there's only so much you can do personally in one day yeah and i think the biggest problem there is is some people either refuse to do that or some people do it too fast um i want to be a master of something before i let it go and the reason why is that way i know if it's right i know if it's done wrong and i know the best process to do it and plus if you're an expert at it um you know i've done tile before so if a tile guy is taking four days to tile a, a shower like I know if there's a problem, I know how much time it should take. I don't have to be there on the job, so sure it helps. You you boozing? Yeah, no? I'll, yeah. I'll you don't, you don't have to be peer pressured, but I'll take it. Wait, I want to have a drink with what you. What am I drinking? Uh, this is uh, bourbon. Yeah, don't say the name unless they're paying you. <laughs> Woodford. Yeah, let's send them an email and ask them to to pay you to mention their name. <laughs> hey, I'm done with that. Um, so how did? just get that situated and then so how, how did you get started like you just mentioned you've done tile you've done plumbing like go back to when you were i don't know 10 11 12 years old whenever you started working and making your own money what what, what was like were you always entrepreneurial were you one of those kids that started yes. out selling yes. whatever mowing lawns or selling driveway I, numbers absolutely. or that kind of thing i did i did everything so <clears throat> i worked flea markets since i was probably 12 years old um, for the people are in the Texas area, I worked Trader's Village and every other kind of flea market there was. Um, I used to sling uh, computer parts back when they were actually worth money. And uh, I learned from a lot of like street hustlers work ethic. And um, I learned, you know, that that was pretty important thing. Um, I've mowed lawns. I've done everything. I, I remember even for like holidays, like Easter and stuff, people would pay me like to set out Easter eggs for them. And I mean, anyway, they sling pencils in elementary school. So wow. they, they had the little sports teams <laughs> on them. So it's always been Emmy. Uh, I remember like my brother's friends used to even make rumors that I was a drug dealer because, and I'm like eight, I'm not selling drugs. Like I'm still picking my nose, but I'd walk around with a briefcase just because it's like always who I wanted to be. Um, but I ended up getting in a lot of trouble got put on probation. I didn't do anything terrible, but I was not a good kid. Got put on probation. Probation officer was pretty cool. And he was like, Hey, get a job, quit being stupid. Um, so I got a job working for a plumbing company and, uh, this is at what age? Uh, I just turned 17. Hmm. Uh, I didn't graduate high school. I got my GED, um, <clears throat> to even do that. And so, Started doing plumbing and I was making good money with that and wasn't even happy being a plumber. Like I wanted to own a company. So even from the very beginning, like that was my target. And the second I started my company, everybody I was working for, which this was right after a 2008 crash. So like, I guess all these home flippers were buying houses cheap and every one of them was like bragging to me about how much money they were making. And I was like, man, Y'all are stupid. Like y'all don't know anything about construction. So if you can make money, I can make more. Now I realize 
you know, knowing anything about constructions doesn't matter. That's not real estate. Real estate's all about, you know, buying the deal right and having equity. But at the time, my thought process was definitely, um, since I know more about construction, I'm going to be better at this than you. And uh, I'm glad that I was uh, ignorant enough to think that because it always had real estate in my mind. And I watched it probably like a lot of listeners. Um, I'd be on the internet, you know, watching Zylo and stuff like that, looking at houses, just never really pulled the trigger. And I had been working, running my own business. I'd saved up 250000 And this banker was like, what are you doing with all this money? And I'm like, what's the problem? Like, I'm saving it because cash is king. And he was like, no, not at all. And he was like, do you know about inflation? I was like, no. Yeah. And once he explained that to me and explained that my money's losing value um, on an average of three to 4% a year. And the last year, year and a half, it's like 20% or something, something outrageous. Yeah, absolutely. And so he told me that and really it was only told me so he could sell me some, uh, stocks and bonds packages that chase JP Morgan sells. But he taught me just that one thing. And that opened my eyes, kind of like taking the pill on the matrix. And, um, he was like, so what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to go buy some real estate. And within one month, I bought my first house. Nice. Do you know who Dan Pena is? I do. I yeah. Do so he's, you were mentioning about like how these dummies are making a lot of money and if they can do it, you can do it. He's got a funny take on that. He says that sometimes the dumber you are, the more you'll, you'll succeed in business. Cause if you're too smart, you'll probably analyze the shit out of the problem and never end up doing anything. But he, yeah. said, but he says a moron will just do it. <laughs> I, I love him because I don't get offended. And uh, Me neither. No, because we got that Middle Eastern in us. I, I probably accidentally offended people a lot, including uh, our banker, Gloria, today. She was pretty upset with my email, but I'm just direct <laughs> and honest. Right. And uh, I appreciate I don't, that. I don't sugarcoat stuff anymore because I learned when you do that, it's misdirection. And misdirection wastes time and time's money. So for sure, I I like to be very clear and precise about what my expectations are. It makes it impossible to date because, um, you know, you walk up to somebody you're trying to date, like it's a job interview and up front, you're like, Hey, I expect this, this, and can you cook (laughs) and clean my house? Is that that what happened, Tanya? Jawad's wife is here with us. Is that how he interviewed you? <laughs> if if y'all didn't hear my first question to her was are you on any prescription medications? And that's because I learned from the last three before that. That doesn't work out. Wait, last three wives or last three girlfriends? Girlfriends. Okay. Okay. No, I'm, not, I'm not that lucky. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm but lucky. you know, you know that that Middle Easternness. Like I always say, I, nobody can offend me because there's nothing anybody can tell me that's worse than what my parents have told me growing up. Yeah. That's just the reality yeah. of Middle Eastern parents. Like yeah, they're, they're never. They're never impressed. Yeah, absolutely not. See, I, <laughs> she's she's recognized that, but um, no, even even my mother, she's not uh, Arab. She's Irish. Um, mm. She always thought she was Native American, but she's not. Um, my brother just had one of those DNA tests, and oh. she's everything but Native American. Brilliant. Yeah, send, but, send your DNA into the internet. But That's... neither one of my parents could ever be impressed or be proud of me. Um, no, it's impossible. Um, yeah, even, Irish and Middle Eastern, forget it. Even still, this day, you know, I've I built up a ten million dollar net worth from um, growing up in a life where we definitely had food stamps and had eleven people in a seven hundred square foot house. 
to God, now hey. it's 10 million dollar net worth uh my mom still sends me books on real estate tells me that i should learn something <laughs> and, and i'm like okay yeah <laughs> that's hilarious but that uh i think there, there's something about that some this is just my biased opinion about those middle eastern genes like i call it the immigrant mentality or whatever but that hustle that you're talking about when you were a kid slinging pencils in elementary school and then growing up and just taking that further and further into bigger and bigger things. I think there's something really Middle Eastern about that. Just the, I, the art of negotiation. I think we invented it. I learned definitely my work ethic from my father. I have known my dad in no way other than through work. Um, my dad's the nicest guy ever. Always means well. Never had like an emotional relationship with him. It was like, hey, if you want to hang out, I'm going to work. And like, mm. that's the only way that we were hanging out together. And uh, it's something that we did often. And uh, he always had a great work ethic. Um, so that's definitely where I picked that up. Yeah, I think it's it's largely, largely genetic. There's, of course, some environmental factors. But I think a lot of work, I think, is just something you're born with. And sometimes it is, the environment is very contributing to that like you notice a lot with like the, the the statistics on first generation immigrants that come to america and how hard they work and then you see that that productivity and work ethic goes down by something like 40 percent by the second generation and it's almost down to zero about a third i give a lot of credit to it because a lot of people try to make it seem like the things that i do are big and yeah i make a lot of money but i mean i would be terrified to go to another country by myself as a teenager and just start from scratch i really like i actually stop at least once a year and just like scratch my head and try to figure out how somebody gets the courage to do that like sure. i don't think i could do that i don't even want to move to another state so well i, think, I give a lot of credit to that yeah the, well you don't want to move to another state because then you're going to be paying state income tax but um there's <laughs> there's there's part of it is courage and then part of it is like if you're living in a war-torn country then you'll go just about anywhere yeah because whatever whatever might be on the other end of the ocean is better than where you're at right now i think that has a lot to do i mean that was kind of the case with my parents with why, why they came to the states because we couldn't stay in the united arab emirates forever and then going back to lebanon like what the hell were we going to do there well i asked so, my dad i was like why did you come here and he was like two reasons school and all they did over there was watch like uh wild west movies Soccer. And so he was like, I want to, I want to be a Texan. You know, he wanted cowboy boots Unfortunately, that's not what Texas is anymore, but uh, I'm glad he came here instead of California. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, so, so, okay. You started out in this plumbing company when, when you were, or you started out working as a plumber when you were like in your that teens, was, 16, that was, 17. I was 17. And then I started my own company. In 2010, however old that was, I don't know what kind of company it was. I'm trying to. Yeah, I wanna, yeah that I wanna, was a plumbing company okay. in 2010. Okay, I bought my first real estate deal at the end of 2013. Okay, which I didn't know that I was coming in like an amazing time where I would have bought everything and kept everything, but I I didn't know why what was, I didn't know. Why was 2013 so amazing? Um, because after the 2008 crash and everything like plummeted to the bottom and then it was just kind of dead and stagnant for a few years. So 2013 is like right when like it was getting hot again. So it was a great time to buy, but the prices were still at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was perfect timing that I was coming in and, uh, 
I found this amazing deal because, you know, this is before Facebook. So I was trying to like source deals and, you know, Craigslist was king back then. So I was like, I'm going to find me a house. And I was on Craigslist all day. And I found a house out in Mesquite, which is a suburb of Dallas. And this guy was like $50,000. His parents passed away. You could buy the whole house furnished $50,000. I looked it up in my opinion, even though I didn't know what I was doing, but I was right. It was worth probably like 125,000 at the time. And it wasn't in bad shape. It was just outdated because they were older people. Hmm. And I emailed this guy like three times. And I was like, hey, I want to buy this property. There's no phone number. Guy doesn't respond. Um, If you get to know me, you're going to realize that 99% of my success is because I'm the most stubborn person you'll ever meet. You not responding to me in 20 minutes is not enough to stop me. I was like, here's a picture of the house. I see the house number. I was born and raised in that city. I can find this house. Like I already know just by looking at it and the style of the house, what kind of like block and area it's going to be. Wow. So I drove around for an hour and finally found the house and I left a note on the door and I was like, Hey, I want to buy this house. Call me at this number. And probably about an hour later, the guy called me and he's like, man, I'm so glad you left this note. It's perfect timing. I just put an ad on Craigslist for 50,000. I thought everybody would want to buy it. Nobody did. And I was like, Oh yeah. Uh, maybe it wasn't a good price. Will you take 40? <laughs> and he was like, he's like, is it cash? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, bring me a contract. And I'm like, I don't even know like what contract, right. where do I get it from? And I didn't have a mentor or anything like that, but I went to high school with this guy who was a realtor and I knew that. And so I called him and I was like, Hey, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I, I'll give you $2,500 to stop whatever you're doing bring me a contract and show me how to fill it out. And so he couldn't be a realtor of the deal because uh, he wasn't representing the guy. It wasn't on the market. Uh, but I paid him cash right then and there, um, did the deal, closed on it a week later and bought this house for 30%. And it was rent ready the way that I bought it. And it's funny because all he did is walked into the garage, got on the, his dad's motorcycle, said, keep the rest and drove off. <laughs> And I'm like, wow. you left every picture of your family, like <laughs> everything, like priorities. <laughs> right. But it says a lot. But uh, I bought the property and <laughs> um, I rented it out Section 8, which I don't, I don't even remember how I came up with doing Section 8. But I rented out Section 8 and I was making twelve fifty a month rent for a property that I bought for 40000 And I right. was like... Still, still this day, it's one of the best deals I ever bought. So I was like, man, I got to do this again. You still have that house? I do not. And I even like last night was thinking, man, I should go like figure out who owns that house and uh, go buy it back. Yeah. Wait for their, wait for their family to die. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, I ended up selling it to an investor. It's funny because uh, I put it on Craigslist because like I said, that was the king back then. And this investor was buying it and it was only after he bought it that I realized he was one of my customers at the plumbing company that always did work on his flips. And uh, he ended up buying four properties from me that I had rented out and I used that money to buy an apartment complex. Nice. That, um, that, 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 the way you handled that, that whole transaction where you went and found the house and then you called the realtor and said, drop whatever you're doing. I'll give you 2,500 bucks right now. Come help me with this deal. That's not something you learn in school. That like that can't be taught is my point. That's talent. That's something you were born with. 
just the, the problem solving ability that you have, like in that situation, the way you described it. Um, we, I, I, I would think so. We, we grew up, like I said, it's 11 people in a 700 square foot house. So we grew up learning. If you want something, you got to go get it. Like we, we weren't getting brand new bicycles. Like some people had, like we would go on bulk trash day and walk around the neighborhood and find bicycles in the trash and like take them apart and build like a Frankenstein bike. Like we learned if you want something, go get it. Yeah. So I love that. Is that what you, if you have kids someday, I don't know if you have kids, but would you, is that you're going to raise them the same way? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you could try to teach kids anything these days, but all they know how to do is the Dougie. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you can teach them that, but they don't even do that that well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I've been on TikTok, but um, yeah, I, I would hope that that's something I can pass down. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I'm a big believer in that too. So um, I had a, a real estate investor in El Paso. His name's Preston Brown on my show about a year ago when I was still in El Paso. And um, I said, how do you identify a good deal? Where do you go look to look for deals? And he said, for the four D's of finding a good deal, death, divorce, disease, and drugs. I would agree with that. I will tell you this, every amazing deal that I've ever purchased, including commercial real estate, including multifamily, including houses, Every one of them was filled with syringes and as many beer cans as you could imagine. There you go. And I'm like, man, if they would have just took all these as scrapyard, they probably could have paid their rent or their mortgage <laughs> or whatever and still right. at their home. Um, <clears throat> so I would say even if death was involved, it's usually some drugs and alcohol. Well, he, 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 the way he described it is he went and made friends with a bunch of probate attorneys. And yeah. then he said, he said, Hey, I know you're going to come across properties every now and then where you have, a bunch of um um what is it called relatives dickering over yeah the, for the, the estate the inheritance and so he's like i'll take that problem off your hand i'll offer you cash and you know call me when you have something like that and he said he was buying four or five houses a month he would get calls from these attorneys and everybody the attorney wants to be done with it the family wants to be done with it everybody just wants to take their cut and walk away yeah and so he would just come in and scoop it up yeah there's a lot of places now where you can purchase these lists and get probate lists uh, utility shutoff lists, um, which is either people turn off their utilities to move or they died or whatever. Um, there's also people that are getting foreclosed on. You can get pre foreclosure lists sure. and all that. So, uh, I've, I've chased those lists before I've made a little bit of money doing it. There's people I know that do that for a living. It works. Hmm. So, okay. You, you started your plumbing company, you had some money saved up. You came across this deal. That was your first that was your foot in the door in, yeah. in real estate. So for somebody who let's say right now wants to get into real estate and doesn't have cash to buy a house, I asked you this question on your Facebook one time and you said, you gave me an answer that I, I don't know. I, I couldn't really figure out exactly what that meant. You said, what you want to do is identify a problem and then provide a solution. That's always the key to any making money is identify the problem and bring a solution. So um, like if somebody's in foreclosure, a lot of times, you know, if they don't want to get foreclosed on, don't want to ruin their credit, I'll tell them like, Hey, how much are you behind on your mortgage? They'll be like, Hey, we're only behind like $5,000. I'll be like, okay, I'll pay the $5,000 to save your credit. If you deed the property in my name and I make your mortgage payments for you, um, that's called subject to investing. Um, there's a lot of people if their properties free and clear where I can go and get a property from a owner finance. And I've learned there's a lot of people 
especially out in the country where they have like a number stuck in their head and the property might only be worth 30,000. And they're like, no, I have to have 40. I don't know where they came up with this number. Maybe their cousin told it to them, whatever. They have to have 40,000. Okay. I'll give you 40,000, but I want to do no money down and I don't want to make a payment to you for a year. And so that way I've got time to like get a tenant in here and start making some money. And I want my payments to be like really low, like 300 a month, but you're going to get your 40,000. And I'm gonna, it's going to take me 30 years to pay you off. They don't care as long as they get that number in their head. So I, I've had deals that I've purchased where I put no money down or $1,300 down. I just closed on one in Corsicana, um, which is in Navarro halfway between here and Dallas. And I paid $1,300 down and paying 600 a month during the hottest real estate market. I could probably rent the place out for 1500 a month. Let me break that down a little bit, a little more step-by-step. So, because, okay, it's like me showing somebody how to do an arm bar just by doing the arm bar. But I got to like, if you've never done an arm bar, I got to show you like, okay, you grab the shoulder, you turn, you, you know, you drop the hips, whatever. So like, how do you even go about finding these problems? How are you meeting these people? Um, well, like I said, you can either chase lists. Um, you can go find people that had properties for sale in the MLS and their expired listings because they didn't get their price. Um, so people chase for sale by owners um, that haven't sold. Um, a lot of times you could just drive around. That's what I've always been best at, drive around and find just the crappiest properties in the neighborhood. <laughs> I, I mean, you live in a great neighborhood, but I guarantee you like there's that one neighbor that everybody hates sooner or later. You know, he's got the two foot tall grass and like he, all of his blinds are broken and all that stuff. Sooner or later, um, you can approach that guy and you're going to be able to buy his property because if you don't, he's probably going to get foreclosed on because if you live your life like that, I can tr- promise you their financials are the same way. So that's, that's opportunities in distraught properties. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. At least. Yeah, and it brings value-add opportunities, uh, especially in the multifamily and commercial. Um, there's a commercial property I bought on I-30, which is a major highway. cuts right through Dallas. Um, it was on the city's T-20 list, which is the worst 20, 20 worst properties in the city of Dallas. And so, like, the city hates this, prop, this property. Like, they know it. There was nobody that works for a city that didn't know this property, and they hated it. I purchased that property. And every single time they act like I'm the enemy and they hate me because I bought this property and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to fix it up. And they're like, yeah, that's what the last 15 people that bought it said. Um, but you know, it's just too tore up. I'm like, well, that's because they don't know what they're doing. Here's pictures of other projects that I've done. And you know, they still don't look at them. They don't believe you. But, um, once I get started and, um, you know, I always do the outside first because that instills confidence in the neighbors, the police and the city. Um, they see what I do and they're like, oh, okay. And then instead of them being your enemy and like just beating you up for no reason and co-compliancing you for no reason because they want to like get you out of there. Um, now they're on your side and they're like, how can I help you? Hey, did you know that we've got some funds that we could help contribute to fixing up this property? And then all of a sudden they're, they went from your enemy to your best friend. My sister is watching and she commented because we've been looking to, to find some properties to flip. 
and I've been a little bit too picky probably. And she's a little bit too aggressive. Like when she sees a house, she's like, I'm buying this fucking house right now. And I'm like, okay, let's first examine it. Like, let's talk to the realtor. Let's do, let's run, let's get the comps from the neighbor. She's like, no, let's just fucking buy it. Right. She's been driving me crazy. So she come to, you see the flip houses that I find are good. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> Just because they're trash doesn't make it a good deal. So you got to know your numbers. <laughs> now you. I can say this. Thank you. <laughs> as of a year ago, I won't say right now, but as of a year ago, I could look at any property in DFW and immediately know what it's worth and immediately know right. what it was going to cost to fix it up. Now I can't do that anymore because prices keep changing so much. I, I have no clue. Uh -huh. Like I don't even know how, actually I know for a fact GCs don't know either. Like everybody's just kind of winging it. I know some huge developers doing multi-million dollar projects and like they're not telling anybody but they're completely winging it right now because like i don't know i could it, bid a that, job is that because prices are changing so they're, fast yeah they're changing so fast and then like at first labor wasn't changing with it but then that caught up with it now gas is going up so that's driving up prices sure. on the labor and the material and so now like i'm just trying to guess double of what it used to be but um i just i used to know as of a year ago, I could walk up to any random house and do what I wanted to do for 30 grand. That's definitely not the case no more. Now the typical remodel, like full gut, replace everything remodels costing somewhere around $80,000, which is a lot. Like, yeah. especially when people aren't trying to sell stuff cheap enough to give you that kind of margin. Yeah. And and that's kind of been my concern. That's really been my primary concern is like, okay, we have to, we have to look at, well, there's a couple of things that I've been worried about is how much room do we have, right? What's the margin? Obviously that's number one so, on the deal is yeah. like, what's it, what do we estimate it's going to cost us? And we can't, the couple of houses that she's looked at and tried to get answers from contractors, it's like you said, we cannot get a straightforward answer. And so I'm like, okay, we're guessing what it's going to cost us. So whatever the, whatever cost somebody tells me, if they tell me it's going to be 30,000 to fix it, I'm going to, I'm going to prepare for 40,000. Yeah. And then minimum, I would mark it up uh, yeah. 25% because nobody knows right now. Cause it's, it's, right. it's just changing constantly. Um, we were working on a 4,000 square foot commercial building that I had purchased and uh, we were in a partnership with the city remodeling this whole thing. And then I just get like a message, a text from one of my AC guys that does work for me all the time. He's like, Hey, by the way, I just got an email in two weeks. All the AC units are going up 50%. 50 percent. Fifty. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm nowhere near ready for so AC look, units. Just yet. buy 50 of them so, right now. So I was like, all right, well, let me buy all that stuff and I'm going to keep it at my house. Wow. Like I've got a shop and like my shop that was supposed to keep my side by side and my tractor in it. And like they're both sitting outside and it's full of doors and, AC units and light fixtures and um, just trying to do everything I can to even come close to being in budget. Luckily, the only thing that's saving everybody is that inflation is also going up. So whenever you're going over rehab on your deals, rehab, the inflation is saving your butt by giving you that extra equity. Because if we didn't have the inflation, everybody would be upside down on their rehabs right now. You mean if the price of goods went up, but not the price of the property? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and definitely. so um, the mistake is a lot of investors know, okay, rehabs are gone up, but the margins have gotten smaller, which there's no way you can make a profit on these houses. And so instead of either buying less deals and being more picky or just changing the plan, they won't do that. They just have to keep buying deals. I don't understand if it's like 
to because they're addicted to it which it, you can be addicted to it um or if like they want to keep showing people they're still buying deals i know a lot of people do that and i've seen people are just like burying themselves in a hole but i just changed what i do um you know when i first started buying houses in 2013 i could buy any house for thirty thousand dollars at the time and then in like 2015 2016 when state farm was the first california company that came over here like the first big one and they just started taking off and they were like immediately a hundred grand, like prices had tripled wow. overnight. And I was like, man, I don't want to buy houses right now. Like that's insane, which they were still really cheap compared to what you can buy for today. Sure. So I should have kept buying and them. In, but, in 10 years, we'll be saying the same thing. But um, I was like, I've got to switch it up. And so I started looking around. I'm like, how can I get the same equity, which is like the good deals? And how can I get the same cash flow? And then I found condos like at the time in Dallas, you could buy any condo like close, like in good parts, good locations of Dallas, but they weren't like, it's kind of the hood. Um, I could buy them all day long for like 10 grand a piece. And I'm like, how is that not a good deal to be able to buy any kind of home for $10,000 and the HOAs, you know, for all everybody's like, yeah, but there's an HOA the HOAs was only a hundred dollars a month and they included water. So it didn't hurt the cash flow. I was buying them for 10 grand. I was renting them out for 900 a month. Wow. And so like I'm getting my money back In first year. 10 months. Yeah, yeah. Very first year. And so I immediately bought 12 of those. I'd buy one, remodel, rent it, buy one, remodel, rent it. And, uh, you know, like always, I wish I would have bought more. Um, so uh, just real quick, I, we touched on this a little bit earlier and then we kind of drifted away a little bit for somebody, let's say who doesn't have cash right now and wants to buy yeah. a property. And that's when I asked you about finding a problem and solving it. But at the end of the day, you need the cash aside from hard lenders. Is, is there, is there any advice you'd give people something to, to, cause where are you going to get the funding from? Right? Like if okay. I saw a great so, deal right now in a house, a house that I think I could rehab and it'll sell for 250,000 and it's listed for 80. I, and I, I'm in competition with a bunch of cash investors. I have a friend who bought a $14 million office building uh, with no cash. And uh, how, do you, I, how do you do that? Uh, I'm about to break it down for okay. you. And before I do, let me tell you, this guy had very little experience in real estate. Like he had done some flips and stuff, but um, totally not $14 million property ready. I wouldn't even know five people on my hand that I think can handle a property like that. Not because of the amount of money, because everything's different. The leasing's different, everything. But so one, there's hard money lenders out there and hard money lenders, not, let me be very clear. There are a lot of them that won't do credit checks that don't do background checks that don't want to see your tax returns. Don't want to see your paycheck stubs. All they care about is the deal. Mm -hmm. show me the property right if the property is cheap enough we're going to loan you the money why because if it works out you pay them high interest um which you're only paying monthly so that's not really a big deal and if it doesn't work out they're getting this property at a discount so like there's no way they're really going to lose but um i could go right now and buy a hundred thousand dollar house with hard money and not pay anything up front and have to pay, yeah, 12% interest, but on a hundred thousand dollar property, that'd be a thousand dollars a month. Right. I mean, you could have any kind of job and probably come up with that. Um, and so some people are doing that. And then depending on what your exit strategy is, are you going to flip it? Or are you going to rent it or whatever? 
Do you list it on the MLS and just sell it? Do you refinance it out with a regular bank at a lower interest rate um, that lowers your payment? Like, what do you do? But there's so many ways to get in deals. I mean, I've walked away from closings with a check in my hand where I didn't spend money like I made money. I bought a house in Mesquite that at the time was probably worth 165000 I bought it for 47000 I probably put 10, 15,000 into it, cleaning it up. I had it appraised, it appraised for the 165. They'll give you 70% of that. So, oh, I see what you're saying. Good for the hard lender gave you 70% of the 165. Yeah. So I that's 115,000. Yeah. I bought it for 47 and I put 15 into it. So I've, let's say I've got 65 into it and they give me 115. I'm walking away with a check you know, $50,000, $60,000 and, uh, and got a property. That's awesome. And so there's, there's a lot of ways where you don't have to have the money. Let me take you back to the $14 million deal real quick. How, how did that happen? So he got a hard loan. This is okay. It was hard to put together. I, I hope to God, anybody listening to this doesn't try to replicate it. It didn't work out for this guy and not because he wasn't a smart person. It just didn't work out, but he did get the property. Um, but he got a hard money lender who said, I'll lend 70% of the as is value. It wasn't worth 14 million as is. It was worth 14 million with the value add, which means once you get it fully occupied and leased at top rents, because in commercial real estate, it's not like a house. A house is worth $100,000 no matter what. You know, people are like, oh, I'm going to remodel the kitchen. It's worth more. No, it's not. It, it, it can be worth less, you know, if it doesn't have a nice kitchen, but it can't be worth more. That, you can, that's a can, great point. But in commercial real estate, when it comes to multifamily or just retail office, anything like that, it's valued solely off the amount of income that it makes. So if it was fully occupied and at top rents, it's worth $14 million. He had somebody who was willing to sell it to him for $9 million. Mm -hmm. And so he got a hard money lender. Is like, okay, I'll do 70% of $9 million. I don't know what the math is on that. Probably somewhere like seven and a half million dollars. And so where is he going to come up with this other two and a half million? And so what he did was he talked the seller into doing owner finance for the other two and a half million uh, on a balloon payment to where he had to repay that after like three to five years. And um, that hard money loan is what's called a bridge loan, which means it's supposed to be very, very short and temporary. So he did that um, immediately, um, leased up some of the properties that didn't take long. He probably did that in 90 days. Now it's a $11 million property. So now if he refinances again, he can get 70% of that, which is probably 800,000. So now he can refinance the owner out of it. And he only owes one person now instead of two. And so his goal was rebottle a little bit, make it a little bit nicer, not that that brings in the value, but it increases the rents, get more people, lease the place, get it worth 14 million, refinance it for 11, pay people off, put 200 grand in his pocket and be done. It was working perfectly for probably, I'd say about two years until he was running low on money because he overspent on the rehab. He made a few mistakes from lack of experience, which I'm just not me talking bad about him. Um, that's okay. You can I, don't, about it. I don't, you can I, don't say whatever I, I don't have, no, I, I think he was a smart guy and I'm that's glad he pulled okay. it off. It's just, you know, I don't own a single property that's $14 million either. So I would probably make some wrong moves. He added a gym to this office building 
Um, I can't imagine what that cost. And then he was like, that's not making me money. So a then lot. he took the gym out. You know, I would guess he probably lost 50 grand just on that one mistake. But things, things like that, he lost some money. He was hanging on by a thread, but he was going to pull it off. And then the AC went out and to, to the, the whole building, building to oh. the whole building. Yikes. So he goes and he gets a quote, the quote comes back at a hundred grand. He doesn't have a hundred grand. And so, you know, two weeks go by, he's trying to figure out how to get the money. Tenants are moving out. Are you going to go two weeks without AC? No. Fuck no. Not and in Texas. So he's just, he's dropping tenants like flies. And, um, I, I don't even know if you ever got the AC fixed or not, but, um, he, he lost enough tenants that, and lost enough money that it didn't work out. And he ended up losing the property, man. But so, so in that, in that, in that scenario, so he bought it for 9 million. When you say he lost it, meaning what he lost $9 million or he had to sell it for a fraction of what he bought it for. And the bank took it back. He didn't lose any money cause he didn't have any money in the deal, but, um, he lost the property and that could have had $5 million in equity. So, okay. But what, what is the impact of that on the investor? Uh, it depends. So like there's gotta be some kind of repercussion to losing a $14 million property that you were invested in, whether, whether at, with your actual money or you were just brokering the deal. It depends on the loan. So a lot of loans out there, if they exceed $1 million are non-recourse. So would you wonder why, um, Trump and all these guys are out there just doing YOLO stuff? It's because they have non-recourse loans. And before you go blame them, the government's the one that gives these loans. That means that if in the event that they default, as long as the government takes back the property, nothing happens to them. And so they don't lose any money. They don't have to file bankruptcy or anything like that. And uh, so. So so you're telling me that people's biggest problem is they're not taking big enough loans? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, So there's a saying in real estate um, that you just need to add another zero. And so. You know, you're out there trying to make, you know, a thousand dollars as a hustler. And what I try to explain to people is like, who hasn't slung iPhones before? Like everybody at some point has sold an iPhone, even if it's like ones that you bought and flipped, or if it's your old phone, sell an iPhone for a hundred bucks, right? Make your money. Okay. Well, if you can do that, you can sell a car for a thousand. If you can do that, you can sell a house for a hundred thousand. If you can do that, you sure. can do a, a apartment building for $10 million. A deal is a deal. It's literally the exact same amount of work as the sad part. It's just all about what you know and who you know. So that's, that's the thing. And it's about, I think, well, I think part of it is also it scares people because now the non-recourse, the no recourse loan that you mentioned, that's interesting. I need to look into that. I don't know about that. Yeah. So all, but, like, but all these apartment complexes, everywhere you look, it doesn't matter what state you're in look left, look right. You see an apartment complex that's a hundred doors or more. Um, I guarantee you it's got a non-recourse loan and it's owned by a syndication, which means that it's some guy who's raising people's money and taking your retirement and buying it and working the whole deal with other people's retirement money. And, uh, he has a non-recourse loan. And so he has zero skin in the game. Where does that money come from though? How does the bank get their money back? So, the bank gives you a million dollars. You get a loan for a million, non-recourse. The deal comes comes from the U.S. government. So you got these Fannie Freddie loans. Um, they they've got these non-recourse loans out there, and and not just for 
apartments, but also for commercial real estate. That's interesting. Do you like apartments or commercial better? Do you have a preference or you do both? I do, I do both. I would say if I had to pick, it really depends on the season. So there's nothing safer than apartments, but man, nothing makes you want to rip your hair out either. Like <laughs> that's what I've always said. If you think about like, what's the kind of person who lives in a house? He's probably like a guy that's got a good job, got a hot wife, got some kids, like has his life together. <laughs> things to lose, right? All, yeah. all those things that you want to lose. Now let's think about the guy that lives in the apartment. You know, this is a guy that's probably 21, punched some holes in the doors, like has a new job every six months. You know, really, really hasn't gotten your life together. Can't keep a girlfriend. And so do you really want to be committed to 300 of those kind of people? and then chase rent from them and replace the doors that they kick down and, you know, all the parties where they like destroy yeah. the carpet and all that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you have good management, then you don't have to know about everything that happens, but I've got friends that, uh, own 300 unit complexes and they're like, Hey, uh, they'll text me. Hey, who do you know that can clean up? Like when somebody commits suicide Oof. and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm the first person you think of <laughs> when this kind of stuff happens, but luckily I know the answer. Um, what's the answer? Uh, environmental companies they are out there and they will charge you an arm and a leg to come out there and clean up the blood and everything like that. Wouldn't it be easier just to replace the carpet? Yeah. Yeah. It would. I, I hear club soda works great for that. Oh, uh, peroxide actually. What is it? Peroxide. Really? Yeah. 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 So if you think about killing anybody, peroxide gets rid of all <laughs> blood stains. It'll get out carpet, sheets, everything. Wow. Um, We're learning so much on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Google it. Uh, I'm serious. But uh, <laughs> what serious? I like, what I like about commercial real estate <laughs> is you take all the emotions out of it. Sure. I'm not going to have Amber, Jessica, Steve, and Bill blowing up my phone, cussing at me, telling me how I'm this terrible landlord. Uh, because they're late on rent and I'm demanding it. But if it's a commercial property, you know, and you're leasing it out to super cuts, like there's no emotion involved. They're like, Hey, instead of this one year lease that your tenants doing at the apartments, we want to do a five year, 10 year, 15 year lease. Mm. I, I own a Lone Star title loan building. I own the building, not the business. Yeah. Lone Star title loan leases it from me. And, uh, you know, they've got five year lease with three options to renew. So for 15 years, I may have them as a tenant and uh, it's a triple net property. So they're responsible for any of the repairs. They pay the property taxes. So if taxes go up and everybody's screaming and crying about it, it doesn't affect me at all. The only thing that that could go wrong. The only one thing that could go wrong is if the economy busts, are they going to fall bankruptcy on me? What happens then they can break the lease and walk away. Yeah. Okay. Also by the government. So, um, you know, they, it sounds they, like the government's up to a lot of fuckery. Well, it's, you know, they do a lot of things that help stimulate the economy and, uh, they do a lot of exit strategies. So, um, everything that every president has stood up to a podium and complained about, just know that they wrote the law that made it possible. So. I just, uh, okay. instead of complaining about it, I just learned to play the game. Learn the way to play the game. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's the key, right? You don't, yeah. you, none of us make the rules, so you might as well learn how to play the game. Yeah. But, that's for sure. Yeah. You could sit there, you could complain about welfare or you could get on it. Maybe I should have done that. Probably be easier in real estate. 
Um, but what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen these tenants that are on Section Eight. Plus, they got food stamps. Plus, they got SNAP. And sometimes I'm a little jealous. Oh, stop it! <laughs> you know, and they're stop. slinging drugs on the side. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're they're living they're living the, the American dream. It is, it, unfortunately, I know you're joking, but unfortunately, I think that's become the American <laughs> dream for most. I get well. I mean, there there's something that sounds appealing about that life the life of no responsibility and no stress, right? And it's like every, all all your 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 necessities are provided for you by something, the government, or at a young age, it's your parents, and then it becomes the government. And a lot of people never want to stop breastfeeding, so they just want the government to keep breastfeeding them for the rest of their life, right? Because they don't want to have to get their own food, and so that that's the case with that. But it's the same mentality as like these people who just want to be on the beach all the time, and that's not realistic. Like, I want to be on a beach drinking margaritas is not a life plan. That's that's a that's a vacation postcard quote. Yeah, and it it just. It's not a lifestyle for me. I do like the thought of knowing like my needs are going to be met. Um, sure. But yeah, that's like probably the only good thing about being wealthy for me because, you know, I'm not ever going to go buy a Lambo or anything like Why that. Why not? Uh, you know, I made money when I was starting my plumbing company and luckily I got rich when I was young. Um, but I did that and I bought stupid stuff and I bought the $5,000 watch and I bought, you know, 20 pair of $300 shoes and bought the fancy car. And I later learned like none of that matters. It really doesn't. So it's just not for you. Um, yeah. And so now like I see like these kids that get into real estate, I say kids, they're like 21. They get into real estate all cocky. You know, they made six figures for the first time and you know, they're every picture with the Rolex like this. And I'm like, they're like, where's your Rolex? How many you got? And I'm like, I got an Apple watch, but cause <laughs> you know, I'm trying to like do business over here. Yeah. Um, but I just learned like one, when you achieve a certain amount of wealth, nobody cares when you flex at all. Um, like I'm, I know. What do you mean? Of course people care when you flex, look up money Mayweather and Conor McGregor and all he, these guys, he's not Michael do, Jordan. He's not doing that. He's not doing that to impress people with money. He's doing that to impress the people that give them the money. So right. that's a marketing tactic. Right. Um, but I, I know a one, one billionaire, I know a lot of millionaires and they, you get to a point where you realize like flexing just doesn't matter unless you're in a marketing business. If you're in a marketing business, yeah, it's all about the flex. It's all about the flex. Like have every Nike there ever is have a McLaren, you know, have two 21 year old girlfriends and, uh, get you five Rolexes. But, uh, None of that stuff provides value to my life. I've, I've reached a point where all I care about is like my family hanging out with them. Like I don't even care about my friends no more. It's just like hanging out with my family and uh, just making sure their needs are met. Um, you know, my grandmother's a widow now. So I always make sure like her lawn's taken care of. I go there once a month and like, you know, sneak around the house, check in the fridge. Does it still work? And um, is, is there anything that you do splurge on? Food, food. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that that can that can get expensive, but I mean, like, if you go Johnny Depp, like twenty thousand dollars a month on wine, but, the, but it, for the most part, that can get too it's, crazy. It's because, like, to me, like, 
I'm always working. You've seen that. Yeah. Um, if anybody follows me on Facebook, Jawad Dashty. Follow um, his business page, not his please, personal page. Please, my business page, not the personal. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to put any business stuff on my personal page. So yeah. um, if you if you want to learn more about this, follow my business page. But um, if you follow me on there, you know, like, I really don't take breaks. I like to, I, I enjoy working. Yeah. And uh, the only kind of hanging out I ever do is when somebody that I work with is like, hey, do you want to do lunch? That's actually, you know, I'm not fat. I don't know for people that can see me on camera. <laughs> I'm not fat, but I'm definitely a lot thicker than I was in high school. And that's because when I first got in real estate, four times a day, people were like, hey, do you want to do lunch? Sure. And I would promise you I would do three lunches a day. Yeah. And people would be like, eat, eat. And I'm like, no, I just literally came from lunch. And they're like, you know, especially, you know how Arabs are. They don't care. Eat. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. Okay. Uh, give me an egg roll or something. And uh <laughs> So it's eventually I had to learn to tell people like, no, I just want water. Like, yeah, that was a hard thing. Sure. No, it is. It is. I'm the same way with when, when I start doing a lot, there's sometimes where, cause I'm in pharmaceutical sales and there are stretches where I have a luncheon scheduled every day and sometimes a dinner, not usually, or sometimes there's a breakfast meeting and a lunch meeting and then maybe a dinner. And it's like, yeah, by the end of the week, I've eaten way too much olive garden and, and, chick-fil-a and whatever i'm catering barbecue and it's like friday comes around and i've put on eight nine pounds that week yeah it's pretty it, brutal it's definitely happened um but i'll splurge on that i'll definitely splurge on real estate um yeah that's 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 not i mean that's different though because that's business that's making you money you're not you're not spending you're actually i know but yeah. it just depreciation depreciating assets i can't do it doesn't work for you can't rolexes do don't depreciate though yeah they don't um i just guns I have some, but because I live on a ranch, yeah. So I'm not like a big collector of them either. I don't know. Like I've just, I, there's nothing that I really. Um, I don't know if I could say this. I'll, I'll pause for a second so you can cut out if you want. Why? I definitely like to go support single mothers at the strip club. <laughs> so I'll splurge on that. But I pause for a minute. So if you have to cut it, you can. No, no, we're not cutting anything. This is live. Oh, this is right. awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. What a humanitarian. That. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they have kids too. You know, they can't just be macaroni and cheese yeah, all the time. That's right. So I'll go donate a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars, depends who I'm with. Yeah. Um yeah, I yeah, I'm not gonna say any name to put some married friends on blast. But, uh we definitely go and have a good time sometimes. There you go. There you go. That's cool. I like guns. That's probably the one thing that I spend on the most. Uh, but I also like, I know a good deal when I see one, I know when, when I, I pretty much every gun that I own is now worth quite a bit more than when I bought it. Yeah. And so there's always, I like that comfort in the back of my mind is like, if I have to, I can liquidate my guns and actually make a profit and have some money. So that's kind of how I look at things. I'm not into jewelry, really a little, I mean, eh, a little, you know, but not, I don't know if the one watch that I want sort of as a life goal is the Jacob's astronomy. I don't know if you've seen that. I have it, but oh, I will man. tell you this. I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. All I ever wanted when I was younger was the Salvatore Ferragamo watch. It was uh-huh. $1,300. And that's it? Now, hold on. See, you said that. And so I was about to say, you're going to be like, that's <laughs> it? But I was so poor that yeah. it was impossible. I was never going to be able to afford this watch. I get you. And then when I finally started making some money, I went to the store and I looked at the watch pull it out and told them I'm going to buy it. And they put it in my hand. I looked at it and I was like, 
I do not want this watch no more. And uh-huh. I set it back down. That's so, so, so that's the Jacobs Astronomia, and those are million dollars. And uh, I saw one the last time I was in Vegas. I went to some some watch store and I saw one, and I was just like, "Oh my god, there it is! I want it." But here's the thing: I believe that it's kind of like what you just said. I believe that when I get to a point where I can buy it, I won't buy it. It's just that I want to be able to buy it. Yeah, I like. I don't like the feeling of I can't. That bothers me. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's about capability more than obtaining the watch. Yeah, and that's a that's a good trait to have because like you know I've got a buddy of mine I've known him since I was like five years old, and unfortunately he's my biggest hater and he doesn't mean to be, um, but you know he like when I started my plumbing company he was always like if you post about your plumbing company one more time I'm gonna block you, you know we can still be friends like fuck and, him and, and, no, and then uh, his friend block and, him no nah, he's he really is a great guy he just what it is he can't see like doing these things and one day like i said something about he was like dude you're a millionaire like you made it i'm like yeah that's cool but like being a billionaire is cooler and he's like just looked at me like i was stupid he's like you could never be a billionaire like, oh come out i was like why Cut him out. Kick him i'm like why and i'm like what do you see in mark zuckerberg where you're like yeah that guy's got such better qualities and traits well like, he's fluent in mandarin I don't know what that has to do with anything. <laughs> but he also does not splurge because he wears the same Walmart clothes every day. Well, like Warren Buffett, man, that's a crazy one. I mean, he still lives in a house that he bought, I think, in the 50s, and he drives like a 20-year-old car. Yeah. And he eats McDonald's every day for breakfast. And he spends $2.16 for breakfast. I'll tell you this. I, I do drive a decent truck. I'll, I'll say a nice truck. To me, it's nice. But, like, I'm going to drive it until it has 300,000 miles on it. Just like I did with my last my last truck was a Dodge Ram 1500. I bought it um at a very good deal. I waited a long time to make sure I got one at a good deal. I drove it till I had 300,000 miles on it. And the second I hit 300,000, I was done. And people were like, I can't believe you finally got rid of that truck. You know, people were always like, When are you gonna sell it and buy a Ferrari? So uh, I got me a Ford Ranger, it's a really nice truck. Um, they go for 45 grand. I got mine for 20, and I'm gonna drive that thing until the wheels fall off. And, then I will go get me something. How'd you decent. get it for 20? Um, I literally just looked once a week all over the United States and uh, finally found one that was in Houston and uh, it was a lease and it was like 10,000 miles on it. And I was like 10,000 miles off and sounds like a great and, deal. And I'm getting it for 25 grand less, like 60% less. And I was like, yeah, I want to buy this. I called him. I asked him for a Carfax on it. No accidents or anything. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take it. Why are you the money now? I'm going to drive there and pick it up. I like your, your brain is all numbers. You break down everything into percentages. Like that's, that's the percent of the value that if, I paid. I if, like that. If you knew how bad that works for me and I've got a buddy named RJ. I'm sure he's not watching this. He's got his own podcast and, uh, he, uh, unfortunately only watches his own. Um, so yeah, I'm making funny if you watch this. Uh, but we'll when he buys a jacket, he's like, I don't care how much it costs. I just have to get it down to a penny. I'm hmm. like, what do you mean? He's like, so if I buy a thousand dollar jacket, he's like, all right, I wear it once, it's a thousand dollar jacket. If I wear it twice, it's five hundred dollar jacket, five hundred per time that I wore it. Depends on how like, much he sweats. Yeah, he was like, I just keep wearing it until I've gotten my money out of it. And I'm like, I'm glad that you can look at it. That oh, way. <laughs> oh, that's what you're saying. <laughs> um so you're let me ask you this you don't splurge on stuff on on items cars jewelry none of that 
you're open about your net worth, which I think is interesting because a lot of people don't want to talk about their income. But you proudly mention over and over that you're in the eight figures, which is for people who can't do math over ten million dollars. I was talking. Here's, but here, here's my question. I want, I want to, I want to know your thoughts on this. What's the point of making all this money? What, like later, it's, like when you're, for me. when you're ninety years old, who's it for? I, uh, I can tell you who it's for. First, let me, let me. Aside, me, for, aside from the single mothers. First, first, let me, let me start by <laughs> saying I was raised to not talk about money. And, you know, Same. every everybody who they call because your parents were poor or whatever, like you weren't, you were told not to talk about money. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, no, there's not. They're just like poor. that, uh, probably. Yeah, and but I've learned now, like you have to attract money with money, and um, you know, just me talking about it on this podcast. I promise you, some banker is going to watch this. And they're going to hit me up on Facebook within the next 30 days. And they're going to be like, Hey, how can I do business with you and give you some money? Um, so that's why I openly talk about it. Um, and plus I want to show people that you can do it because I grew up thinking like I dropped out of school. Cause I was like, why I can't go to college. Like we don't even have enough money to go to McDonald's. Um, but I want to show people like, it doesn't matter where you're starting from. You know, you can get there, but to answer your question, what's it for? Um, I can definitely say that I use it for what I said from the beginning it was for um, multiple times just this month. So my father's wife passed away this month um, of cancer. Her funeral was just last week. Mm -hmm. And my dad called me and he was upset and he was like, hey, I got to go to California because that's where she was in the hospital. And he was like, hey, I need you to come watch the girls, which are my twin sisters that are 15 years old and at a drop of a hat, I was able to drop everything that I was doing. I was, you know, in Fort Worth doing some business stuff. I dropped everything I was doing, was able to go to my dad's house, watch my sisters and let my dad go do what he needed to do. And I was able to take off work for the whole week. You know, if I worked somewhere else, I couldn't do that. Um, my grandmother, like I said, is widowed. She's been widowed now for three years. Um, whenever her washer went out, I replaced it. Whenever her dishwasher went out, I replaced it. Sure. Um, her lawn, she was out mowing her lawn, like right after my papa passed away. And I was like, no, man, I'm like, do you enjoy doing this? Cause if you do, I'll let you do it. But if you don't, there's no way I'm going to allow you to mow this lawn. And so, you know, I pay people to go do her lawn and, uh, it's, it's so that way I can take care of the people that are, they're important to me whenever they need it. So I love that. But let me ask you this. That's a, that's a corollary to that point. I watched an interview with Terry Crews one time, Terry Crews and C.T. Fletcher. Great interview. And uh, Terry talked about how when he became famous and people started knowing that he's making money, that there was a lot of family members that he had to set firm boundaries for uh, or to, whatever, um, and, and friends alike. Because all of a sudden, everybody's hitting them up for money. Yeah. All of a sudden, everybody needs a new dishwasher and a new washing machine and, and a new roof and all that. I've been through it. So tell me about that. How's how, how's that how's that going for you? Okay, so there's a reason why if you post a picture of any millionaire or billionaire on Facebook, everybody's going to tell you how he's an asshole. And it's he's an asshole because he told somebody no. Mm. And unfortunately, I've had to tell a lot of people no. Um, a little brother, he's successful now, but he used to like really sponge a lot of money off me. And, 
that really sucked and uh, he had to hurt a relationship between us because it wasn't things that he needed. It's things that he wanted and uh, he wanted to live a ex- very extravagant lifestyle, um, which I'm sure you can imagine an Arab kid would want to do. And he wanted to do it on or my just dime. any young guy. Yeah. And he wanted to do it. You on want my the dime. cars and the girls and, and the parties and all that. Yeah. I, you know, I gave him a place to live. He, you know, lived in one of my properties and uh, he had one of my vehicles and I had him on a salary where he didn't really have to do anything. He just had a job title and made money and that wasn't enough. And um, I ended up having to let him go. And that really hurt our relationship, which um, I really hated to happen. I had a cousin who I did a lot for and, you know, he didn't really have his life together um, even before that. And I'm sure he's going to watch this because he watches all my stuff and I hate what has happened to our relationship, but you know, he never did good things with the money. Um, you know, when he never, he didn't have a car, I bought him, uh, a truck, he blew the motor on it. Like immediately I put a new brand new motor in it. Then he let his girlfriend do drugs and drive it through a house. Like, oh, a <laughs> yeah, I, like it sounds like a freaking TV show. Uh. And so like, I had to cut him off too. And it's like, okay, like, you know, how many, how many strikes, like I, I will give you unlimited amounts to fulfill your needs, but. It's now it's not needs, it's your desires, your wants, and your bad decisions. And that's something I'm not going to enable. Um, my mother, who, you know, like I said, is somebody that can't ever please. Um, she's remodeling her own house on her own, which I begged her not to do. And she lives in Ohio, so I can't do it for her. But I was like, hey, like, you know, let me send a crew up there to remodel it the way that I remodel it. Let's put your house on the market, sell it top of the market. She's like, no, like you just don't understand the Ohio market out here. We like brown walls and these hideous floors. And I was like, no, like go watch HGTV. Go look. Here's my friend on Facebook that flips house in Ohio. Everybody right now is doing like grade neutral, like walls and, you know, this kind of flooring and all that stuff. And in her head, I'm always wrong. And she was like, um, but can you give me 10 grand so I can do this remodel on the <laughs> house? Is. And I was like, no. And it broke my heart because my mom has always been there for me. She's never, we've never gotten along. So um, she wasn't ever really nice to me, but she was always there for me. And I hated telling her no, but I was like, look, I will pay to remodel your house, but I'm not going to give you the money because you've already told me that you're going to make bad decisions Mm. with it. Um, That that, I I support that. Yeah. And uh, she didn't take it really bad, but um, I'm pretty sure like, there was some spite in that, but, uh, yeah, it gets hard because I always have to tell people no. So another thing that Terry mentioned in that interview is like, if you want some money from me, start a business, Yeah, get something going and I'll help you out. He goes, if you buy three lawnmowers, you start mowing shit. All right. I'll buy the fourth one. Well, so I disagree with that. So I tried that. I tried very unsuccessfully the whole, okay, I won't lend you money, but I'm going to help you start a business. Is that like the, that's basically the old, don't give a man a fish, teach him how to fish. Yeah. So I tried to help friends start a business. I've done that with at least 10 friends. Never once did I get my money back or did any of it work out. Dude, you're Um, too nice. um, After the second one, I just told anyone to fuck off. This is like back in the day. And the reason why is like, I felt guilty making money because like I came up and a lot of my friends came up poor so oh, like i said I you're too guilty. nice yeah, you're, yeah and uh a lot of that was until i met this guy his name is justin george um indian guy they 
they have no guilt about making money or having money. And this guy was like, like, what's the problem? And I was like, I don't want people to think I changed. And he's like, if you don't fucking want to change, what are you doing this for? Right. And he said it in such a direct way. And I was like, I guess you're right. And so now I've just become okay with being a dick. And now if people want to borrow money, I always tell, but people, I don't think you're being a dick. I think you're, you sound like a very nice guy to me. Well, incredibly, the, incredibly tolerant too. Well, I, I think you're a dick to people who can't get what they want out of you. Yeah. And so fuck them. And so now it's, if you need to borrow money, I will allow anybody to work for it. Um, you know, I've got properties that we're working on all the time and you see how it's amazing how many people will be like, Hey, I have to have this hundred dollars or like my kid's going to die. Like they'll tell you the sobbing mm-hmm. story. And I'm like, okay, I got this property. My guys are painting. If you want to show up, be there tomorrow at 7am. If you just work half the day, I'll give you the hundred bucks. And they're like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you really didn't need that money that bad. And so it's great because I, instead of me having to tell them, no, like I've given them the opportunity sure. to tell me, no. Yeah. 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 Which, that works. Which almost everybody does. Right, right. So I gotta ask you about this. This is uh, um, probably one of the coolest things I've ever I've ever seen on your Facebook and and on on your you well you posted the story, Tanya. This is when she posted that she asked you to get her a cup of coffee and you went and bought her a coffee shop. Well, like so <laughs> so so for 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 men listening who need some advice on how to how to keep their woman happy, I w- I w- <laughs> build her a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not advise it because she spends all the money at the coffee shop. Um, so tell me about that. How did that whole thing go down? Well, I bought a ranch that I ended up actually getting for free. I don't know if you want to go through that or not. Sure. Um, but uh, let me, I can run through that. Quickly. Okay, go for it. But I found a property that was a hundred acres and I found it at $3,000 an acre. Well, at the time was worth 12,000 acres. So I can get it for 25%. Like I told you, a lender will do 70%. Mm-hmm. And so the whole property was 300,000, but it's worth 1.2 million at the time. Um, so I told a lender, I was like, Hey, you know, this give me 500,000 or whatever on the property. I don't remember how much it was. And so he gave me enough money to not only buy the property, but to build a house, build a shop, put infrastructure on it, roads, electric, all that stuff. So I did that and then I sold off 40 acres off the property um, for more than that amount, which paid off the entire loan Wow! and put a hundred K in my pocket. So I got a free 65 acres, a free house, a free shop, free tractor side That's by amazing. side and all that and hundred K in my pocket. But I did that, lived in this town that was like a great small town, like what would be like on the 80s TV shows, like where you walk in the stores and they're like, hey, how's it going? How's your kids? Like, how's your dog, your grandma? And they knew everybody by name. Um, But there's just nothing to do in the town. Like, unless you like going to Sonic or Walmart, like that's it. Everything else, I'm driving 45 minutes to Dallas. And uh, um, every day, like, Tanya refuses to work without coffee. Like she's just not going to do it. And uh, so every day before we can start working, I've got to drive 30 minutes one direction or another to go to Starbucks. And I was like, dude, have you heard of coffee machines? You can actually have one in your house. Okay. Well, why don't you tell her about that? Because (laughs) there's there's two in the house and she's not using it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So she, uh, she's, 
determined <laughs> to get her coffee every day before she's going to do anything. And like, I'm getting annoyed because I don't want to start my day at noon. Like I'm all about getting stuff done. Yeah. Uh, the value of my time, you know, and uh, she's wants to wake up at 10, start her day around 11, get her coffee at 12 and Hey, we can start working at one and be done by three in her world. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, there's like this really cute boutique downtown, but it's like completely abandoned. I'm like, what's the deal with that? And uh, so I ended up buying um, half of the downtown, got it for nothing, um, but it needed a lot of work. And so I bought those properties and I was like, okay, like what does this town need? And so the very first thing that I did was um, remodeled and wanted to do a coffee shop. She wanted to run the coffee shop. I was like, there's no way during COVID and everybody's quitting and all this stuff. Like I'm not starting business. There's no way. So I remodeled it. And while I'm remodeling it, like there's another small town next to us that has a like cute boutique coffee shop in it. And so I went over there and I was like, Hey, do y'all have any interest in open a second location? And they were like, yeah, we're actually already looking. And I'm like, check out the spot and they went looked at it, and they're like no absolutely not this building's ugly and i'm like yeah but look like the work that i do to these buildings you know i can make it nice and they're like no way well i start reballing it and post some pictures on facebook and then like people keep tagging the coffee shop they're like is that that building you were talking about and then like she's seeing how nice it's getting now she's begging me to get in the building and uh <laughs> so we worked out a pretty good lease and uh got her in there and man it changed the town just a coffee shop. You wouldn't imagine. There was not a single place where you could like sit down and meet with somebody. And that alone. In downtown Dallas. Now this is, I, I live 30 minutes outside of Dallas. Okay. So I live like in a small town outside of it. And uh, it's that coffee shop alone changed the whole vibe of that town. And so then like immediately we had a boutique shop that was like, Hey, we want to put all this stuff in here. And then like, it just changed it from like this abandoned wild west vibe to like just a very boutique place, like where tourists would want to come. Wow. And so, you know, now we've got a restaurant that at least from us, they're opening up on Friday. Cool. Um, that's going to be their soft opening. And uh, so we've got all this different stuff that's leased out there. There was already one boutique shop there, but it was like real trashy looking, but they wanted to compete with all the other stores. So they fixed it up and, everybody kind of got in a battle of like making their places nicer and now like it's it's an amazing downtown so i love that so what what is the shop called what is the coffee shop called i'm going to dallas this weekend i'm gonna hit it this up. coffee shop is called Half croissants it's called giddy up and go coffee okay. shop um like i said it's about 30 minutes east of dallas um, okay i don't know what part of dallas you're going to plano plano yeah it's wrong wrong direction oh is it yeah but <sighs> um yeah everything so i'm never gonna buy anything in like plano frisco or anything like that because like i was talking about earlier the value add stuff like frisco is already nice and so if you were gonna buy frisco you wanted to buy it 20 years ago when it was farm town mm. um because you could buy anything for 100 grand and now that stuff's probably worth 10 million wow you don't want to go buy something in frisco now for 10 million and in five years from now is worth 11 million like that's not where the profit right. is so that's why like a lot of stuff that I buy in Oak Cliff, which is kind of like a ran down suburb of Dallas. Um, you know, I was buying houses there two years ago for 20,000 a piece. And now I'm selling them for 150,000 a piece. Nice. Like where are you going to get those kind of returns? So I go for the value add stuff. 
Sure. Now, when you're looking at a real estate deal, what are the things that just make you go, fuck that, I am buying this? Aside from the price not being right, like a, like characteristics of the property that just make you go, uh-uh. It just depends it. what it is. So, if Or is there no such thing? If the price is right, you buy it no matter what. Um, if the price is right, I'll make money off of it no matter what. Um, but I might wholesale it so I, where I don't even have to own it, where I just get it under contract and sell the contract to somebody else that wants to own it. Maybe I'll make 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever. That's a thing. And yeah, that's the thing. How does that work? Um, so you, for people who are watching, you can look it up on YouTube and type in either wholesaling houses or assignment of contract, but you can get a property. So say there's a property worth a hundred grand. I always use a hundred grand cause it's the wrong number. Yeah. But say you find a property for a hundred grand that's worth a hundred grand, but you find it for 50 grand. You can get it under contract for 50,000 and you can sell the contract. So, um, you know, I've done that for an apartment complex that's in Longview, which is like way out in the sticks, uh, to an investor in San Antonio. And, uh, I made $75,000 off that deal. So you, you got the contract, meaning you made an offer to buy the property, right? Yeah. Okay. You signed the contract. If you didn't sell that contract by the ex, by the, by the, by the closing date, then you would have ended up having to buy the property, right? No. Cause I had an option. Uh, option period on it so i had paid three hundred dollars to have the option to back out so you're trying to sell it before yeah. the option period. now sometimes out. i'm like hey i'm gonna wholesale it and if i can't i'll just buy it okay um sometimes i'm kind of iffy on it but like i didn't want to buy it out there because it was so far outside the metroplex i didn't have a lender willing to lend on it because god forbid gotcha. if i ever got foreclosed on the lender doesn't want to own something that far away gotcha um this is like halfway between dallas and shreveport louisiana so, um, but I, I sold it to a, an apartment guy named David Fisher. He's a, a big investor out here in, uh, San Antonio. He bought that property from me made $75,000 and, uh, yeah, I didn't have to put any money in the deal. It didn't cost me anything. That's, so. that's pretty cool. Um, I lost my train of thought for a second, but, um, well, I'll, I'll let, let me ask you this. I asked you recently about your thoughts on Airbnb. So you talked a little bit about buying and selling, flipping, wholesaling, all that. Um, you said that that's the one thing you've never done is Airbnb a property. Yeah. I, I really have no interest in it. If I did it, it would only be like if I bought something like really amazing, like if I bought a house that's on the river walk out here in San Antonio, I would Airbnb that, um, but like just regular houses, no. And the reason why is one, it's more of a job than it is passive income. So it's really going to be hard to scale. Now I know you can go hire like super hosts and things like that. Um, but a lot of times I've really broke down the deals and took it down to the true net profit. And I don't feel it, find it to be that much more profitable than renting. Uh, also, I don't like to do things that are governed. Um, and so like, you know, I don't want to own a gun store because they're always talking about trying to, you know, ban guns, you know, uh, Airbnb. I literally just saw today where they had banned Airbnbs in some state, I think it was Nebraska. And now you can only own two and one has to be your personal house. I've seen that. Yeah. And you know, they're just doing that everywhere. And like in LA, they'll be like, yeah, you can do it. No, you can't do it. Yeah, you can do it. No, you can't do it. And the problem that we have, which I think is going to be our next real estate bubble is a lot of people are now buying real estate 
not based off the rents, but based off the Airbnb rents, which is higher. And I'm scared that they're going to, you know, buy them based solely off the one as a strategy, which any good investor, no matter if it's, you know, uh, flips or rentals or owner finance or what, you're supposed to have multiple exit strategies. You can't say this is the one thing that I'm going to do. And if it doesn't work, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. It's not a good plan. Uh, yeah. And um, so that's like jumping out of an airplane and flapping your, your arms and hoping that you fly. And so they do that. And, you know, if it does get banned, if the government's like, hey, Airbnb is causing the housing shortage because there's all these properties that people can't live in long term. You know, it doesn't have to make sense for the government to say it. We've all learned that. And so if they do that and they ban Airbnbs or what if they say Airbnb can only now, you know, do like hotels and stuff like that, it's completely possible. It's already starting to happen in a lot of places. Um, what's going to happen to your property? Cause you can no longer make that mortgage. And um, it's, it's just, it's got too many no's for me. That makes sense. I, I I get it. Don't get me wrong. To me, to, I, I already know there's going to be people commenting, talking trash. Don't get me wrong. There's people that make money doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. little side discussion. People can't hear it. Just <laughs> sorry. We somebody secretly <laughs> wants to punch me in the face because they, they love Airbnb. Um, it, it, Airbnb does work. I don't think it's a good scalable business plan. I don't think it's a permanent business plan. I think it's yeah. going to get regulated to death. I mean, and and then you always. I mean, I feel like with real estate, as long as you bought a good property for a good price and a good location, you still have the house. You you have you have other things that you can do with it, whether it's rent it or lease it or. And that's what I was saying. The only time I would ever consider it is if I bought something that's like such an amazing, unique property. Yeah. And in such an amazing, unique place and to where I'm literally only buying it. So that way I could like go stay there sometimes. Are you familiar with the company? That's uh, I think it's, it's the top, whatever real estate, holders and buyers in america right now i think it's called blackrock yeah what's what do you think about that are like does that worry you that they're buying real estate they're buying so much fucking real estate yeah well if you're worried about black like but they're but they're buying residential like they're buying houses they're not buying so just just know for every blackrock there's fifty thousand five hundred thousand other syndications that you don't know about that are doing the exact same thing they're just the only one on the news. So what BlackRock is, they're a syndication, which means that you went and you got licensed with the SEC to where you could raise money. So what you do is you go to, you know, insurance companies, you go to people and you get their retirements. And you say, hey, you want to make money on your retirements? Um, I can take, hey, you've got, you know, your retirement for all the teachers. How are you going to make money on that? You know, teachers are out there making 8% on their IRAs or whatever. How are they making that money? Well, you got two ways. You can put it in the stock market or a syndicator can raise money and say, hey, I'm raising money for this fund and I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy properties. And he's using those non-recourse loans that I was telling you about. Yep. And they're out there and they're just buying apartment complexes. They were buying every commercial strip center and, you know, 
50 years ago, mom and pops owned everything. They owned, they owned every, every store, every business. You know, if you're worried about BlackRock owning houses, like that's just the beginning of it. You got to keep in mind that every town you went to, there was a store walking distance and somebody's dad owned that store. You know, every dentist was somebody's like little Timmy's dad. And so now it's not that way. Now, Great Clips is also a syndication like BlackRock. Walmart is a syndication like BlackRock. Amazon. Is it though? How, how, is, how are you comparing Walmart to BlackRock? In what way? So like Amazon with Jeff Bezos, he raises money. So he's, he's one sole pers- person running a fund that's raising money and, you know, taking up all these shops. So just like how BlackRock's taking all the houses, Amazon's taking all the market share for the stores and it's right. still, it's still all going to one person. So, so, right. That's my point. Like, does that worry you? Absolutely. Like, right. But, but once again, you're going to have, you know, I'll say Biden, but it doesn't matter what president stands on the podium and tells you how terrible it is. They made the laws purposely for this. And like they're they're the ones that made every law. It's not one law. They made every law that made this kind of stuff possible. And so you know, if you're like into crypto, crypto is kind of the same thing. It's like syndications. You know, it's not really unless you're looking at Bitcoin. Everything except for Bitcoin is basically syndications. It's people saying, "Hey, you can contribute money for these small shares," while some guy that you don't know is out spending the money however he wants, and is going to do it based off of this API or APY, APR, whatever he's promising you. That's it works the same way with BlackRock and Amazon and any other syndication. So I, I don't understand Bitcoin that much or crypto altogether for that matter matter. But my concern is with my concern with the BlackRock is the same concern that people have with Amazon, which is um, monopolizing a certain part of the market and then they can do whatever the hell they want with the pricing. So like if they own a super large amount of houses, they can, they can mess with the, they can play with the prices any way they like. They can, you know, they can raise the rent, they can lower the rent, they can do whatever the fuck they want. I agree. Um, Hopefully if anything, it would contribute to lower prices eventually. And I know you're like, that doesn't make sense, but um competition in the bigger spaces usually equate to prices being lower. Like, right. You know, just like Jack in the box tacos. How are they still 99 cents? To this day? I don't know. Yeah, well, I, nobody knows what's in those things. They're inflation proof, but it's hopefully that. No, but wait, they went up a little bit. No, they're like a dollar 29 now, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Aren't they? Still, you know, yeah. my sister and I were just talking about this the other day. I was like, how long before there's no more dollar menu? And she goes, where the fuck have you been? There's already no dollar menu. Yeah. And I guess I don't really go to, to fast yeah. food. If I do, I go to Chick-fil-A. They've never had a dollar menu. But um, yeah, I don't think they're 99 cents anymore. Yeah. But <laughs> the, the, the biggest thing is, is I'm hoping that it causes downward pressure on some of these prices um, and that it's not collusion to raise them up. Yeah, uh, yeah. But no, I don't, you know, the, a great thing the government does is they do break up companies that get too large. But I mean, the government is feeding everything to BlackRock. That's who they were feeding all these bonds to whenever they were doing the repo loans, um, which if y'all don't know about, that's what caused all this inflation. Um, it's BlackRock is, is the government's best friend. 
And uh, what's funny is, is the person that runs BlackRock had a lot to do with the 2008 crash. So that's, oh, really? that's how, great. How, how's that? Um, they were just on, on a big part of all the bonds that caused that bust. So, um, is this, are we, so what do you, what do you say, what do you make of the current market condition right now? What people saying that it's going to be another 2008, I read an article actually just this morning about the uh, real estate market has, has reached a turning point and it's going to start to come down a little bit. It didn't, it, it didn't seem, it, it didn't make a very aggressive prediction, but it just said that we're at a turning point. So every time I read a news article, it contradicts the other one, even if they're both written by the same. Um, people, they could, they could both be wall street journal. One's like, yeah. Hey, the market's better than ever. Keep buying the next five minutes later is like uh, sell everything you have. The world's on fire. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen because America is great at always keeping the world guessing on the next turn. I know what should happen. What should happen is if you follow any stocks, if you follow crypto, if you follow anything where you understand what trend lines are, if you understand what head and shoulder patterns are, um, you would know that everything is so oversold and has to not should has to come down like 80%. Everything. The dollar is oversold. Um, we've got stocks as not just tech stocks, like the entire S and P is like, it has to come down 80%. You know, right now we're down 20 and they're acting like it's the end of the world. I think it's going like way lower. Bitcoin. It, it depends on what sector you look at. Because the tech sector you mentioned is down a ton. Yeah. Uh, it's got a long way to go. And so, like I was saying, if you follow trend lines, which is the average, if you go over the average and somebody was like, explain that to me. And so what I was saying is like, if I met you one day and you were just really hungry that day because you hadn't ate the day before and I watched you eat four hamburgers. Can I just be like, oh, he eats four hamburgers a day? No, you can't judge off that. You can't judge off one day. If I meet you one day when you're on a diet and you didn't eat that day, you skipped lunch, can I just assume you went your whole life without eating? No. But if I sit there and I write down, hey, today he ate two hamburgers, next day he ate three, next day he ate one, I can say by average he eats two a day, and that's what it takes for this guy to live. That's the average trend line. So if you take this average trend line and you go by literally anything right now that touches the debt bubble, which is crypto, stocks, real estate, and everything, everything's oversold by 80%. Mm -hmm. And now I know everybody in the world that's in real estate, it's like, oh my God, it's never going to go down to 8%. Go look at trend lines. It was very trend, just very trending up 2 3%, like it's supposed to with inflation, all the way until we separated and depegged the dollar from gold. And the second that we did that, instead of it going that 2 3% shot up, and like didn't even go up at an angle. It went straight up and it's been doing that since. And um, like I said, it's same thing with a uh, Bitcoin It's same thing with a dollar, same thing with um, stocks and it has to come down at some point. So should it come down at, at some point, they have to let the bubble pop. I know why they've delayed it because it's going to be pretty terrible sooner or later. It has to happen. Will it be this time? I don't know. I, I'm telling you, raising interest rates is definitely going to kick a lot of companies in the teeth that use debt. That's people in stocks. That's people in crypto. That's people that are in real estate. Um, because if you know what cap rates are, um, right now, commercial properties, five years ago, you could buy any commercial property at a 10 cap. 
which means that if it made a thousand a month, you'd buy it for a hundred thousand. You know, it's ten percent. So now they've collapsed to three three caps, which means like there's just no money in the deal anymore. And the reason why is because interest rates went down and all these people were trying to do was just make a little bit more than interest. And their whole goal was to make money off the equity, not the cash flow. Well, as interest rates go up, those cap rates have to go up as well, which is going to make it where everything commercial on the market is not going to sell. Prices have to come down. Some people don't have the room for that. Some people bought them overpriced. Some people refinanced them overpriced. So um, unless the government comes out and pulls one of their wild cards that they're pretty good at doing and says, uh, oh, look, we caused a recession. Let's drop interest rates to lower than ever. And now they're 1%. Then that'll buy us another five, 10 years. Um, who, who knows? I, I mean, like I said, the United States is really good at uh, making people think they know what's going to happen next and then just throwing a wild card out there. Well, the one thing I don't understand when it comes to that is it seems to me like every time we reach our debt ceiling, they just raise the fucking ceiling. And I'm like, well, if you can just keep raising the ceiling, then why not just take the whole roof off? And stop telling us that we're gonna we're gonna hit our debt limit and then we're we're fucked. Well, and that's that's a good reason why the government loves inflation because inflation eats your debt. And so you know if you owe a hundred thousand and your debt is only worth two hundred thousand, you owe fifty percent. But when inflation hits and everything's worth four times as much, by you gaining the equity, you're eating up your debt. Yeah. Your debt's still a hundred percent, but now instead of it being 50% of whatever you own, your economic share, your real estate, whatever it is, now it's 20% of it. And so that's why the United States government loves that inflation because it helps eat up their own debt. And that's why that they don't have to pay back China or anybody else that they owe money to based on their bonds because they can erode it away with inflation. Economics at that level hurt my brain a little bit. Yeah. And that's what I said. Like, you can get mad about it. I watch all these, you know, um, you know, they like to call us boomers. Uh, these little uh, millennials. I'm going to say it like that. What are millennials. you? Millennials. Hold on. What are you? I don't know. I was born in 83. What am I? Gen Z? I don't know. No, Gen Z is the one after millennials. Isn't okay. It? Well, then Gen Z. That's, I'm going to make fun of them. But, you know, they're over there crying about, uh, I got to work a job for 40 hours a week. And these people will charge me rent. Like instead of crying <laughs> about it, just learn to play the game. Yeah. And I tell people like, you can't play monopoly. You can't play pool. You can't play poker and expect to win when you never read the rules. Right. So I go read the IRS tax codes. I go read every time some billionaire writes something that I don't think so just a, like a raw, raw book you know, to make you feel good. And it's actually saying stuff in there. And I learned this stuff. Like I would have never listened to Trump's uh, art of the deal. Like I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm not anti-Trump. I'm just not that kind of guy that's going to read a book. But I was riding with my buddy actually coming to San Antonio like four years ago. And he was playing it uh, on like the little book on tape or whatever in his car and the very first thing is he was talking about the most money ever made was during a depression and back during the eighties bust, you know, Trump bought this building for really cheap and that he went to the city and was like, Hey, I can make the city great again. If I fix up this building 
I want y'all to partner with me on it. And instead of me trying to reinvent the wheel, I did the same thing on a smaller scale with the coffee shop. Yeah. And I got the city to give me $10,000 to fix up this coffee shop. And, uh, you know, I just, I tell people all the time, like everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel. It's, it's, it's too hard. It's too yeah. difficult. It's too risky. I just try to read the rules and billionaires are way smarter. They spent more money figuring stuff out. I'm just going to do what they do on a smaller scale. Right. Right. Are you invested in anything else besides real estate? The things you mentioned, crypto stocks. Yeah. I have six figures in crypto. Um, most of it's not my money for people who are like, Oh, you like to gamble. Like back when Bitcoin was $5,000, I tried to buy it and I didn't even know how, like, you know, nobody really knew anything about it. And I just saw people like screaming, Bitcoin's going up. I'm like, God, how do I buy this? And, uh, I finally was able to buy 10 grand worth of it by the time it literally in three days, it went from five grand to 10 grand. Unfortunately, I got in when it was 10 grand, but I put in 10 grand and it went up to 20. Mm. When it went up to 20 before it bust, I pulled my 10 grand out. And so I had no money left in it except for some, the 10 grand that I made. So I've been gambling with that money um, for about four years now uh, in crypto. And, and it's over a hundred grand now. Yeah. That's awesome. Does that, um, uh, and, and um, about what about other cryptos? Have you looked into anything else or you're just in Bitcoin? Um, I, I bought some Shiba Inu just as a, like a lottery <laughs> yeah. ticket. I don't believe in it in any way, but I mean, if you could buy this stuff for nothing and man, I did well on it. Like I bought $500 worth. Cause I was like, Oh, this stuff's like literally a thousandth of a penny. Let me buy 500 worth. And I bought, I got 56,000 coins of it or tokens, I guess there yeah. are. And, uh, you know, it went up and turned into $8,500. So I've got a lot of Ethereum. Okay. Um, I bought it at 1200 and then it went up to like 5,500. I think now is that like, 3,200. It's at about 2,000 right yeah. now. I think. Either way, I, I got, I'm in at 12. I'm doing all right. Yeah. And even yeah. if it goes lower, like I'm going to leave it in there because it's a long-term play for me. I'm not trying to make like a quick grand, not day trading it. I don't even really look at it. Yeah. Um, I'd literally just wait until I see everybody posting about it on Facebook saying, oh my God, it look at the price. And then I go check it. Have you looked into real estate in the metaverse? I don't understand it. And it doesn't mean I don't believe in it. I know people have made a lot of money on it, yeah. but even when I ask these people and see, this is me being a boomer. This is where like some 12 year old kids should walk out and make fun of me. But like, I don't understand it. I don't understand enjoying being in the metaverse instead of the real world. Like I like the real world, but you know, some of these kids grew up not having any friends cause they're a nerd, I guess. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> They really love to put on a VR headset and not come off of it. And, uh, well, it's a lot of fun. VR is a lot of fun. Okay. I, I guess we found the nerd. No, I've only, I've actually only tried it one time, but I thought, I mean, I am, I am pretty nerdy, but I only tried VR one time, just a simple game. I, and I, was I like, can't Whoa. do it. I, like, I could get addicted to I, this. I tried it once and I got like, like rope motion sickness oh, immediately. And I was like, nope, can't do yeah. it. Um, but like, kids really enjoy it like minecraft like you can't freaking get them off of it and so i do believe there's a future in it what's stupid is a lot of commercial brokers are like having all their meetings in it and i'm like you do understand like the metaverse is literally your enemy like you sell commercial real estate they're trying to get people out of stores and on the internet yeah. like you're literally like helping your enemy but i know people have made 
six, seven figure deals. I know yeah. somebody that bought a metaverse property for 10 grand and is somehow leasing it to uh, Roblox or wow. Minecraft or some kind of game and they're making money off of it. And I'm like, I don't understand. And I've tried to like watch YouTube <laughs> videos and at least somewhat understand enough that I could do research. And then I guess I'm just, I'm not cool enough for that. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it either. It's, I mean, I, I haven't looked into it a whole lot, but it just sounds it's, like, like, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm buying land? Where is this land? Yeah. It's like trying to teach your grandma how to use Snapchat. Like that's how difficult when somebody's trying to show me how this metaverse thing works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like, like, how do you know where to buy it? Like, do you go by traffic count? Like, I don't understand. Like, how do you know that this square is better than that square? It's well, yeah. Neighborhood, I guess zoning. Yeah. I don't know. Like you got to walk that's, around that's the neighborhood over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of man, I don't know if y'all saw on the way over here, there was a shooting in Uvalde yeah. earlier today. I saw that. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but this whole thing with the metaverse, you know, it's not a new thing, really. The way I look at it is religion has been selling real estate in heaven for a couple thousand years now. It's the same thing. And as in fact, years ago, I saw a story about a priest who was uh, sued for selling real estate in heaven. Was, he was just, he was, you know, just getting us tricking people and thinking, yeah, but uh, it made it made me think like, how is that different from going to church? In a church, we give you a tax exemption, but if you do it as an entrepreneur, we put you, we always sue you. Yeah. It doesn't and, make any sense. And there's a guy that comes on at like two in the morning and he sells a uh, holy bread and you know, if oh, you yeah. have cancer. Dude, like, I've eaten so much holy bread in Lebanon, holy water, holy oil. How are you feeling? You feel good? Bro. Yeah. I got to get me some of that. My, my back <laughs> has been killing me for like a month. Oh, some holy bread will fix you right out. All right. That's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Well, um, I know you gotta go. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta go watch a game. What time is it? Yeah. What time, what time I gotta be to there go? at eight o'clock at seven 30. Hey, let's, let's wrap this up, man. I uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thank find you. me on Facebook. Great. I'm also on LinkedIn, which I don't use. I don't really understand it. I'm on Twitter. It's not that fun. Uh, Twitter. Tried. I don't understand that either. Twitter sucks. Um, it's just really to follow Elon Musk. Um, I'm on Snapchat. I don't use that either. What what, on, what are your handles? How do everything find? is either Jawad Dashti or the Jawad Dashti. The you know, there's a lot of Jawad Dashtis. Is there really? It's like the Bob Smith of <laughs> Arabs. I didn't know that, but I was like, got an Instagram. I'm like Jawad Dashti, and like there's literally like a thousand. And when I tell people, I'm like, look me up, and then they look me up, and there's literally a hundred, and they're like, which one's you? And I'm like, uh, the one that looks like he's from America. Yeah. So I think there, a, I think there's only one Jamil Barbar out there, at least on Instagram. Maybe because but, I, when I tried to get the name, I uh, I couldn't get it, but I could get Jamil Barbar one, but I didn't want that. So then I just made my handle the Barbar Show. Yeah, so I had to I had to go with the Jawad Dashti. It was either that or it was trying to give me like Jawad six four nine something. Yeah, a bunch of, no, that doesn't work. Bunch yeah. of numbers. Uh. Uh-uh. No good. But on Facebook, you know, I'm not big headed. On Facebook, it's just Jawad Dashti. Done. Jawad Dashti. I see. I want to say it when in the Arabic accent. So I gotta say Jawad Dashti. So that's how my family says yeah. it. Okay. And so cool. I'm like Jawad. They're like, yeah, yeah Jawad. Yeah. Jawad. Same with me. Jawad. I'm like, <laughs> we're not French. But that's how. Yeah. Same yeah. with me, Jamil. I'm like, it's Jamil. There's no J. It's just J. Yeah. 
Okay. I'm uh, just calling you Jim. Hey, the gym works, man. So, Jawad Dashti, ladies and gentlemen. See ya. Thank <laughs> you.